Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. This episode is sponsored by Duckish Natural Skincare. I am super excited that they have jumped on board to sponsor the show because I actually know Carolyn Crew, the founder, personally. A couple of years ago, before there was a Reignite Your Ambition coaching program, before there was a workshop, before there was an ambitious everyday journal, I had an idea for an exercise to help people get clear on what drives their ambition so that they could set goals, feel fulfilled, and have something to strive for. So before I could do that, I actually had a group of entrepreneurs that I knew and I asked them if I could test the exercise on them. So I asked Carolyn, what is the something that you're striving for? What drives your ambition? What motivates you to get up every day and go to work? And she said, 2%. And I didn't really expect an answer like that. And I asked her to explain. And she said that only 2% of women entrepreneurs actually reach a million dollars in annual revenue in their businesses. And that is what motivated her to start Duckish Natural Skincare. They have lotion sticks, lip balm, baby products, and bath products. They're really innovative. And my favorite product is their lotion stick. It looks like deodorant, but it's actually lotion. So you just rub it on your legs, you rub it on your arms, your hands, your face. You can even use it as a lip balm. And I love it because it's solid. And when I travel, I can keep it in my carry-on and I don't need to worry about having too much liquid to get through security. And for all of the Diversity at Work listeners, Duckish is offering you 15% off of your order. So you need to head to duckish.ca, that is D-U-C-K-I-S-H dot C-A, and enter the promo code diversity at work at checkout, and you will get 15% off of your order. The way I see it is that if you need to buy lotion anyways, might as well buy it from a women-owned business so that you can do your part to close the gender gap. They ship to the U.S. and Canada, so head to duckish.ca and enter the promo code diversity at work and you will get 15% off. Hello and welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast. On this episode, I sat down and had a conversation with Jake Sticka, who is the executive director of Next Gen Men. There are a ton of organizations out there focused on gender equality from a female perspective. Next Gen Men is different because they tackle it from the masculine side. And Jake is working to have different conversations with men about changing behavior and really creating a culture where everybody can thrive. I loved this interview. I learned so much and I'm so excited to share it with you today. Hi, Jake. Thank you so much for coming on the Diversity at Work podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Jake Sticka. I'm the executive director and co-founder of an organization called Next Gen Men. Uh, and what Next Gen Men is working towards is uh, redefining what it means to quote unquote be a man. Um, and I use air quotes there because uh, inevitably all of us know what it means to say man up, uh, act like a man, boys will be boys and really the culture that uh, is steeped in and around those phrases. So that's really what we're working at. 
And the way that we're working at that is uh, by promoting positive masculinities, healthy relationships, and gender equity in schools, communities, and workplaces. I love it. And I love your LinkedIn profile. It describes you as the guy that talks about gender. And I am really curious about before you were the executive director of Next Gen Men, what was going on for you? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think that those of us who do this work, uh, we all, well, I mean, not even those of us who do this work, we all have our own story, our own diversity story, whatever that may be. Um, but uh, those of us who kind of come into this work, especially around gender, especially from kind of the male side of things, have had our experiences. And for me, um, you know, in 2007, uh, one of my co-founders, who happens to be my best friend, unfortunately lost his uh, 13-year-old brother to suicide. Um, in my early 20s, I went through my own mental health issues. Um, I dated several, several survivors of sexual assault. Um, I worked in a developing country around women's economic security. So I've just had a lot of different kind of um, glimpses into uh, gender constructs. And uh, my, my saying is, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And um, so that was just kind of the, the spark and the catalyst to start working around these uh, gender-based issues. Okay, so this is a, that was a, that's a big thing to take on. So start an organization from scratch. So tell me about the work that you had to do on yourself to be able to kind of step into this space, start this organization and grow yeah. it to where it is today. The, the work continues. Uh, it's a constant journey of learning and unlearning. Um, you know, we're, we're sitting and zooming right now, so you can't necessarily see it, but, uh, I'm a six foot eight white guy. Um, you know, I, I played semi-professional basketball. I enjoyed a lot of the privileges that uh, a lot of uh, men of my demographics enjoy. And, um, you know, then having those experiences that I just mentioned, kind of getting that new perspective in and around it. But I think the other thing as well is um, my family and I emigrated to Canada when I was three. So I'd always had uh, a different experience than a lot of other Canadians who looked like me. So always a little bit of an outsider. Um, but then in and around kind of the gender space, um, I was lucky enough to date a pretty strong feminist in university, especially when I was going through my mental health struggles. Um, you know, therapy in and around that after a lot of healing for myself. And then, you know, learning about, uh, you know, patriarchy and feminism and uh, my, my degrees in international commerce and global development, which I like to call business with the social side. So you know, you learn about glo globalism, democracy, colonialism, so all these big overarching structures, and uh, it can definitely feel overwhelming, but uh, you got to start somewhere, and um, we started five years ago, and we, we chose to work with uh, 12 to 14-year-old boys, because at that age group, we saw rises in rates of homophobia, misogyny, other marginalizing attitudes, and a lot of that, I think, is due to the fact that they're losing their innocence as, as boys and starting to act like what they think it means to be a man. Um, but at that point in time, they don't really have a lot of places to be powerful because, you know, their parents still tell them what to do, their teachers tell them what to do. And so 
um, you know, they're starting to enact those power dynamics with, with their small friend groups. And, um, and that's, that's unfortunate. And we wanted to, to intervene and, and role model new possibilities. So what motivated you to start with that age group? I think really it was just, um, you know, uh, my best friend's uh, little brother's name was Shaquille and it was, it was Shaquille's passing, uh, knowing that, um, you know, we think that we don't know, but we think it was due to some homophobic bullying and, um, you know, he was a racialized youth and, and all the complexities in and around that and, and just wishing that we could have been there for him and, um, you know, created that culture of change and just even reflecting back on how hard those years were for me. Um, as young men, we, we all remember those times and, and how hard it was. So uh, I think that was just really the natural entry point. And then over, over time, our, our adult peers were saying, you know, I wish I had something like this when I was a kid. So we said, well, we don't need to be kids to have these conversations. So we started these monthly discussion groups, which are active in a few cities across Canada. And, and then finally, with, with kind of my business background, um, starting our social enterprise and really doing the corporate work that we do. That's cool. So tell me about the roadblocks that came up as you started this, because I'm sure there were tons of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't dwell on it too, too much. Um, like the, we are a nonprofit. So that in and of itself, as far as like a structure goes is a roadblock just in terms of like fundraising and grants and donations and, you know, um, all those kinds of things. But in terms of doing the work, you know, um, schools are hungry for this type of stuff. We get, you know, between five and 10 requests a week that we, we can't always fulfill. And, um, you know, they, they look at the young men today, there's lots of uh, girls empowerment programs and groups, but the young men beyond sports don't really have a lot of options or opportunities. Um, and then we're also seeing, you know, high rates of uh, behavioral issues. Uh, we're seeing high rates of, or sorry, higher rates of graduation amongst girls. So uh, schools are looking at that and they're worried about the young men uh, going through them. Um, and then in terms of uh, the community stuff, uh, obviously the Me Too movement happened after we started. So it's really buoyed a lot of um, the work that we're trying to do. Um, and then, you know, the, I guess, uh, other roadblock that I could talk about that pops to mind now is just the status quo, you know, um, people benefit from it. And so they don't always want to transform it. And those are the same people who are asking for the business case, which we know has been done over and over and over and over. Um, but they're not motivated by, you know, human rights. They're not motivated by, this is the right thing to do. They're not motivated by their personal motivation. And um, it's transformed that culture like, like we talked about just before we started recording. So what is the status quo today? The status quo is, is patriarchy. The status quo is that uh, for you know, generations upon generations, men have had leading roles and continue to do so today. Um, we have the highest level of representation amongst uh, uh, Fortune 500 CEOs of women, and that's 4.8%. We have the highest level of representation amongst global uh, leaders amongst women, and that's 7.2%, right? But last I checked that, you know, women are 50% of the population, so wildly underrepresented. Um, and then on the flip side of that, uh, you know, men are uh, three out of four suicides. Men die on average five years earlier than women due to a lack of health-seeking behaviors and um, risk-taking behaviors. 
men are the primary perpetrators of violence, not only against women, but also children, other men, and themselves. And men experience uh, staggering rates in comparison of uh, addiction, incarceration, homelessness. Uh, so the status quo, yeah, men benefit from it, but men are also really, really damaged by it. So that's kind of where we're coming at is, is where do we find that balance? And I know I've heard you talk about toxic masculinity. Is that what it means? It's this that men are in power, but there are all these negative things going on yeah, as well. we actually try not to use the term toxic masculinity because there's nothing inherently toxic about you know masculinity per so maybe se. i didn't hear you say that maybe i've just heard other people talk about that, that that's the culture right that's what we're talking that's what we're labeling it as um but um you know it's too easy to label something as toxic masculinity because then it becomes oh, well, I'm not that bad, or I'm not, I don't do that, so therefore I'm not involved in this broader culture of masculinity. And, um, you know, that I think gives people distance to not look at their own uh, actions and beliefs and, and uh, question that. Um, because, you know, the people don't start like Harvey Weinstein. They're the people who start objectifying and making jokes about women when they walk past. And then left unchecked, they can end up in like a Harvey Weinstein, right? So... Um, it's really, you know, we use this diagram called the pyramid of violence in and around that. And so, um, it's just talking about the, the broader culture in general and, um, you know, how patriarchy impacts, um, you know, men, women, people of other genders and, and trying to move away from codifying anything as really masculine or feminine, because if we do in one context or another, one will be highly regarded because if you know leadership is quote unquote masculine then women will always be falling short and then on the flip side of that if nurturing and caregiving are feminine then men will always be falling short and inadequate in that sense so um you know i don't think that codifying those things is really helping anyone Okay, so how do we get away from that? Because I talk a lot about the gender gap in the workplace more from a women's perspective and I know the research says like you said to stereotypical like male traits are associated with leadership traits and stereotypical female traits are not associated with leadership traits. And that's one reason why we see the gender gap in the workplace. So how do we kind of get away from that? Yeah. And we were talking about this before you hit record, but it's like, we don't need more uh, men in heels telling, you know, women to lean in and just be more like men. Um, we need to work on this uh, issue from both sides of the equation. I honestly think that one of the biggest things that we could do to move towards gender equity is to uh, encourage men to take advantage of parental leave. And if we do that, uh, the men will, you know, organizations will not be able to take for granted that only women take leave. It'll become a normal expectation that men are taking leave as well. Um, you know, the men will gain more empathy for their partners because they'll be home dealing with that. Uh, they'll gain more competence and confidence with their children because, you know, currently when men go back to work and then they come home and their partner is exhausted and just hands them the baby and says, do this, this, and that. That's not competence. That's just being dictated to do the things. So, you know, men will gain deeper relationships with their children, richer relationships with their partners, and organizations will uh, stop just assuming, oh, she's of childbearing age. They'll say, oh, they are of childbearing age, so we'll have to plan around that. 
Um, and we can't do that until we say men can be tender, men can be caregivers, men can be nurturers. And I look at, you know, the way that society is going right now, we have a ginormous aging population. We are the sandwich generation where we're going to be taking care of our kids and our parents at the same time. So we can't put that burden on women. We will have to do it as men ourselves. Yes. And I like a hundred percent all of that. I've read the studies, but how do we get over that kind of unwritten rule that like most, a lot of people aren't comfortable bringing up that conversation with their manager at work. And there's maybe some stigma around taking parental leave as a male. How do we get, how do we overcome that? We need role models. We need people who are visible C-suite VPs, climbing their career, taking parental leave and letting everyone know, um, you know, I'm not that big of a fish, but um, my, my uh, grandparents weren't doing so well earlier this year and I had to go overseas to take care of them. And I put my autoresponder in my email um, saying that I was doing elder care, you know, and um, that's a powerful way of letting people know where your values are and, and, you know, what you're working at. So I'm curious what happened to the business because you're leading this organization, right? Yeah. How long were you gone for? I was uh, overseas for a couple weeks. It wasn't that bad, but it was, it was a rough stretch in the spring, but you know um, my team picked up the slack and uh, our customers and clients and, and whatnot all understood. Like, you know, I think that there's this big fear that, um, you know, you're going to lose something from that. But realistically, do you want to do business with people who are going to drop you because you're taking care of your sick grandparent or you're taking care of your child, right? Like that's not the, the society and the culture we want to live in. And realistically, I actually think that people are better than we expect them to be. So if we tell them that, they'll be supportive of it and they'll say, oh yeah, we'll push back, you know, into the next quarter or whatever the, whatever the solution is. So having the role model. So say someone is like, you know what, I am in this position to take, to do this, to like take some time off to support my family, whatever, for whatever reason that is, what's the best way for them to like get the courage or just kind of do it, start the conversation with the people they work with? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, at the end of the day, you know, there, there should be a cost to being an ally uh, because, you know, everyone wants to sit on stage and talk about how, how great they are doing X, Y, and Z, but but, um, you know, we're, we're transforming culture and it's easy to stand up for the things that have already be, been won. But, you know, when we see a path and, and we want to make the world a better place, it's not always a direct, easy path. And so um, standing up, speaking out and saying, hey, I'm going to take the time allotted to me or, um, you know, even if, if it's not necessarily allotted, um, though it should be in terms of workplace policies and whatnot, but just taking a principled stand and, and being ready for whatever consequences those might be. Um, but I think, you know, when you do that, you live with yourself and you live with yourself with pride because if you don't, then you're always like, what if I wish that I had, you know, the people who are, who are, you know, racked with guilt later in life are the people who weren't there for their kids when they were growing up. The people who are racked with guilt when, you know, someone older than them or sick or whatever passes away are the ones that didn't spend the time with the people in those last days, right? Like, do what will leave you without that feeling later in life and it'll all work out. 
And I think it's also like where the way you look at it, because the way you look at it like abundance, right? Like I have this opportunity to spend time with my grandparents. I'm going to invest in that time because down the road, this is going to, this could be an opportunity this to spend that time. That's a lot of value. Whereas I think if you look at it from a scarcity mindset, it's like, this is going to be, I'm going to be away from the team. I might lose the clients. And it's like looking at the opportunity, like I'm going to connect with these people or like, if it's a child, I'm going to be there for those crucial years. It's going to lay the foundation of the relationship and looking at it like abundance versus scarcity. And I think that's what you did in this situation. You took the risk and it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't need, like, I like how you frame that about abundance versus scarcity, but it's like, it, it didn't even feel like a risk, you know, it's just like, this is what I need to do and, and we'll deal with it. And, you know, when you do have that team, whatever that is, it's also a great opportunity for them to lean in and, and grow into some roles and stretch that they may not have, right? Like, um, you know, our, our marketing coordinator stepping in and, and making executive director decisions. That's awesome. That's amazing. So this thing that you talk about, how you didn't look at it like a scarcity or abundance, it's because you are in abundance mindset and you like, that's how you have chosen to live your life and you've like done the work. I don't know how you stay in that place, but like, that's the way you view the world. Um, I think that's really cool. So that's, it's one of those things that you didn't make the choice. It's just like, you are, you both, you have an abundance mindset. So that's how you view the world. A lot of people are not, don't have an abundance mindset. And so they view it the other way. So I think it's like, look at you as the role model. Like when you do look at it like abundance, if it, for you, it's automatic. For some people, you have to really try to work at it, but look what could happen. Like your marketing coordinator developing themselves, like you're developing the next generation of talent. Like that's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so I have a question. So I saw a LinkedIn post that you post a couple of days ago and you talked about feminism, not being the antidote to masculinity, but the antidote to patriarchy. And I was hoping you could unpack that a little bit more for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think in today's climate, you know, circling back to what we were talking about there before with the toxic masculinity, there are lots of men who feel very threatened by feminism, right? And um, they think that feminism is asking them to change their masculinity. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that that's really necessarily the case. I think that again, uh, rolling my eyes at these, you know, feminine or masculine traits, like you can be who you want to be within feminism. Feminism is just the, the belief in the political, economic, and social equality of people of all genders. And if you frame it like that, people will be like, yeah, I guess I, I believe in that, but they choose not to label themselves as feminists. Feminism is the, the, the antidote to patriarchy because patriarchy is that overarching system that impacts all of us, right? Like, we often frame patriarchy as, you know, men dominating over women, but it's, it's also patriarchy that dictates those hierarchies of masculinities that I was talking about earlier and, and leading to really poor outcomes for men. And so it's feminism and, and feminists that are leading the conversation to try and tackle that. And, um, you know, there's, there's men who are triggered and threatened and feel like, you know, feminism is against them, but but really the movement is, is talking about making the world a better place for people of all genders, whether that be male, female, trans, non-binary, whatever. I love it. And let's talk about the workplace. Cause you talked about, you started working with boys 12 to 14 and now you've kind of evolved and now you're working with companies and changing the culture. So let's talk about how patriarchy shows up 
in organizations? Yeah, I mean, you know, patriarchy is so deeply rooted in in terms of uh, even just like look at org structures, right? Most of them, as soon as you keep climbing to that that top, are predominantly male, pale, and stale, right? And so um, over years, those are the the population groups that had the benefit. There was, you know, now we're talking about oh my god, affirmative action, getting people in the door we've had centuries of affirmative action for white men, right? They didn't have to compete with people of other identities. And so now the, the, the playing field is leveling out and, and, you know, we're competing with everyone else. That's, that's equity. I and loved how you reframe that. It's like people are getting all stressed out about affirmative action, but it's like, it's not a new concept. And it's been like, we're just like flipping it on around and just like giving somebody else a chance. Yeah. And I mean, if we think we're so great, then bring on the competition, right? Like we're going to, we're going to get ahead because, because of our own merit. Right. But um, you know, this, this idea of a meritocracy having been achieved and then starting from there, we haven't, you know, resolved all of those historical inequities, right? Like here in Canada, we're talking about truth and reconciliation with indigenous peoples in America. Like there's still deep, deep, deep wounds around slavery um, you know, even just our own colonial past and those kinds of things, like those are long standing wounds. We can't pretend like we have a level playing field now. Um, and uh, so, you know, patriarchy in the workplace is still advancing men because, um, you know, we talk about the glass ceiling. I don't know if, you know, a lot of the research is starting to show that that's not always necessarily the case. And it's actually that bottom rung of that ladder right now that's missing. And that's simply because at that childbearing age, women step away for a period of time, right? And Oh, it's uh, way deeper than that, Jake. <laughs> so oh, it's actually, like, right? but like it's that. not actually that. It's like literally, it's like the unconscious bias, the way that men and women are treated, the way they're mentored, that key, because it's like the first level. It's like the first level, it's the second level. It's like a pyramid where- oh, Absolutely, but I mean, even if you, if, even if you like overly simplify the way that I'm doing, it is because women stepped away to take that birth that some of those biases exist and those kinds of things, right? Women aren't as committed to their work. Women, you know, will always prize, the, prize their family over that, et cetera. And then the burden shifts to the patriarchal man who is always available, always, uh, you know, a career man, et cetera, et cetera. And so- like yes not- it's a stereotype that women are like the caretakers and men are the motivated breadwinner like that basic stereotype that it doesn't matter what age you are it like from day one when you start working it's there yeah exactly and then even compound that okay now great you know women are graduating university at higher rates great we're getting them uh at pretty equitable rates on the entry level but again that missing first run right and and that's just literally around those childbearing years like it, it, it it's a huge gap and then you know then if we put it through that diversity inclusion and equity lens everyone's talking about diversity and getting people in the door but they're not actually transforming workplaces to be inclusive so people come in, in the door they spend the time to recruit them to interview them to bring them on board to train them and then the people spend three years there and they're like oh, i don't want to be here i'm out and you know it's just a turnstile and they're not even looking at the landing place that they're creating for these people and then they're not ri- they're not rising up to leadership too, right? So then you have all these people in the door, and then the systems are not put in place because the system they haven't changed the system. Exactly right. So and they're then, not able to rise to the organization to really change. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay. So how, so I'm really interested, like I find that women and people of color are very open to talking about diversity in the workplace, but you talked to men about it. So how does that go? Lots of difficult conversations for sure. But um, the way that we approach it is really, um, you know, everyone has this fundamental, fundamental human question of what's in it for me. Right. And I think too long, the conversation has been given to them. Like you need to do better because women, you need to do better because people of color versus like what's in it for you. Right. How do you gain uh, improvement in your life through doing this? And, um, you know, women and people of color, like they have a shared experience of oppression. They understand that. Um, bear with me. I, I have this analogy. It doesn't work scientifically. But, um, you know, if patriarchy is a stream, there's a current. And for some reason, the female fish have to swim against the current their whole lives. So they're constantly questioning the water. Whereas for us male fish, it takes us where we want to go for the most part. Uh, so we don't question it. But then we, you know, compete with another fish, we find still water, we get fished out. And what that looks like in our lives is uh, job loss, divorce, mental health issues, often very traumatic events. And then we're all of a sudden like, what the hell is this water that I'm swimming in? And so we haven't come to an understanding that patriarchy is our oppression. And that, um, you know, we stand to benefit. And like I said earlier, we overvalue what it is we might lose and we undervalue what it is we might gain. So, you know, we are overvaluing these male privileges, quote unquote, but we're not, uh, we're undervaluing our mental health, the quality of our relationships, um, respect of others, you know, all those things that we might gain if we step into this, if we lean into this and, and really talk about the equity conversation from our own identities. And, um, you know, like, you're, you're talking, you're asking about how the conversations go, you know, it's, it's, we did a, some work with a construction company and someone asked, uh, what, we can't have fun anymore. And I said, we can have lots of fun, but we can't do it at other people's expense. Like at what cost? Right. And, and that's really then talking about that culture of inclusion. Cause like, there's lots of jokes that exist out there that exist with all, beyond the boundaries of someone's gender or race or religion. Um, and I think that, you know, we just need to be smarter and enjoy that type of humor. And so I'm really interested in how the conversation starts because it starts at a very basic thing. It's almost like policing, right? That we can't have, we can't tell the same jokes anymore. That's really at a policing level. How do you get people to move from beyond that to the, this is going to be good for me. This is going to be society. Like this is my own oppression. Like how do you move people along that journey? Cause it is a journey. And, and the unfortunate reality is that lots of companies are still paying lip service and they're doing lunch and learns and, and whatnot. They're not actually investing in transformation. Um, you know, our lens of work is what we call gender transformative work. And the research shows that you need 10 to 16 sessions for it to really take root. And, um, you know, we, we do the lunch and learns to get a foot in the door and raise awareness and whatnot, but, but it's incremental. And, and like I said earlier, um, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so we start often with unconscious bias, which is like super trendy, but we're not doing it through a moral licensing lens. We're really normalizing the fact that, you know, everyone is biased. Okay. What are we going to do about it? And 
the reality is you're actually probably not going to change your own biases. So we really need to put systems, structures, processes, and culture in place to mitigate the bias before you're even able to put your own bias on it. So, um, you know, starting from that, talking about, you know, gender norms and, and really normalizing, oh, not just, you know, the gender norms that are put on women, but what are the gender norms that are put on men as well? Great. So you see how constricting that man box is. So, you know, how do we treat people who are beyond the man box? Oh, we call them a fag or we, you know, uh, tell them they throw like a girl. Okay. So if the two worst things that you can be called, if you don't fit in the man box are gay or uh, feminine, what does that mean about how we think about those populations in our society? And then it's like light bulbs, right? It's, it's making the invisible visible for these people. So how long does it take to get people to have those light bulb moments? Well, you can get a light bulb moment, but it's that journey we want to take them on. It's those 10 to 16 sessions if possible. So when you're, I'm just really curious, do people stay, so the companies, you, you go in, the company signs up for 10 sessions. The beginning, I'm assuming it's like go to this mandatory training with Jake and people are not excited to be there. Uh, do they eventually kind of come around and look forward to it? We're, we're like the way that we position this, this is leadership training. This isn't okay. like slap on the wrist. This okay. is bad because if you think about it, like all of our shareholders, our stakeholders today are saying, Hey, diversity and inclusion is important. You know, it's on RFPs. It's on all these kinds of things. This is a business imperative. And currently the people who are leading these organizations are, like I said, older, white, and often male. And so those people have not lived diversity and inclusion. And there's no MBA course on that right now. So we need to invest in building capacity in knowledge, skills, and attitudes of these leaders to actually be effective. And, um, you know, there is definitely tension at the start, but the way that we deliver it, again, is not slap on the wrist. Like, we try and normalize the conversation and, you know, you see their shoulders start relaxing. There's some laughs at some point in time. The other thing is, you know, diversity and inclusion conversations, there are, they are very serious conversations and, and they need to be treated seriously, but we also need to have them in a human way and an approachable way and um, allow people to make mistakes and uh, laugh them off as they go on this journey because we're not going to get it right off the bat. I love that. I feel like that's the way it needs to be because you're right, like the mandatory training, it's not really going to work because people are going to walk away and they're not going to take any action they're not going to take that information with them because they're not learning and i love that you frame it as leadership training because it just it breaks that in the workplace it's like the gender stereotypes right like that's one of the main reasons why there's more men in leadership is that we have these stereotypes so it's like let's learn other ways of leadership that you can engage people in a different way and that like almost is like the what's in it for you better engage your people get more results, be more productive, get a bigger bonus. Like all of those things can kind of like layer on the way that you're teaching people. So I think that's really cool. Exactly. Uh, so I have a question. So I know I'm kind of going back to where you guys, where you started as like working with boys. So I am a mother and I have two boys, seven and almost three. And I love how you talk about we need to learn things and we need to unlearn things. So I'm curious, let's, I first want to ask you, what do I need to learn as a mother of voice? I mean, uh, there's lots of generalizations in and around this. I think just thinking that 
you know, when we think about uh, men and, you know, how hesitant they are to engage in these conversations over their lives, that doesn't come over one moment. It comes over an entire lifetime. You know, we see three-year-old boys hugging and kissing their, their little uh, guy friends. And then we say, oh, well, boys don't do that. And then, you know, we see the six-year-old boy crying and we tell them to act like a big boy. And then, you know, we see the 11-year-old boy, um, you know, frustrated and we tell them to, to man up, you know. And then we tell the 14-year-old boy that the measure of a man is to lose your virginity and they, they get that singular mindset. So there's all these little incremental nudges over a, a young man's life that formulate what it means to be a man for them. And so I think as a parent or a family member or whatever is, you know, in those moments, check your own... Uh, ability to police uh, someone's, you know, gender perspective. We do a great job of telling our daughters that they can do anything boys can do, but we do a job of telling our sons that they can do anything girls can do. So encouraging that. And then um, the other thing I think is just, you know, uh, creating that one safe place. I know that always, you know, schools and, and daycare and all that stuff might not be a safe place because other people are, you know, other parents are influencing their kids there and whatnot. But um, if you can just at least always give that young person the refuge at home to be wholly and completely themselves, um, that's one place that they'll build trust and faith that things can be different. And how do you, how do I kind of instill these values in my boys, not to judge other people based on like how they show up because I know like the pink, the blue, like even those basic things, um, like they know and they're not very old yet. So how do I kind of help them so that they're not going out there and just reinforcing the stereotypes? Yeah. I mean, I think it really just comes down to, you, you know, you as a parent, I think obviously in the line of work that you do, you're really well positioned for this, but always just being curious and like, you know, um, having conversations with them about difference and, and um, being like, isn't that really cool? Like you can learn so much about, you know, this and that. And, um, you know, I think that that, that definitely rubs off and, um, you know, also teaching them to, to, to stand up for others and to, to normalize that in their little culture. Okay. I love that. And I think my, my oldest plays hockey. So I think there's going to be lots of opportunity uh, for that in that as of like, as playing sports because yeah that's there's lots of fighting that happens in hockey and so I think that's a great opportunity so now I want to know what do I need to unlearn yeah I think it's just you know uh I think as parents especially um we we care a lot about you know our kids um fitting in and um you know not having um a lot of stress in their in their lives if that makes sense but um you know in doing so we might police them to be a certain way fit this mold so that you don't experience that stress or that pain you know um yes. like act more like a traditional man because then you won't be ridiculed and um in doing that, yeah, we're protecting them that in that moment, but we're also encouraging them to be a certain way. So really, it's like de balancing that fine line of like having that base for them to really be themselves. And then 
encouraging them to go out there and it's almost like teach them that resilience that like when something like this happens here instead of having the conversation of like okay you want to wear i don't know what it is you're doing this thing people are making fun of you for it so what are the other options and like leading with the curiosity so instead of hiding that thing that you're being made fun of let's brainstorm some more options and be really curious with the kid to figure out a way forward yeah i mean i think you know if you're creating that space at home where they can like whatever they like and then uh, all of a sudden they're like, oh, I want to take my bar. Let's say it's a little boy. You know, I want to take my Barbie to school. And then, you know, your instinct as a parent is, oh, I want to protect them from the world. Uh, maybe you shouldn't take that Barbie to the school. Um, you're sending a message there that society doesn't value that, right? And so, um, you know, when we're talking about unlearning, that may not actually be the best thing because you're not going to change the culture through that. Yeah, you might give your child... Uh, one day of of crying and being upset and whatnot, but when they come home, again, you have that soft landing place for them, and then you start to talk to them about why other people would make you feel this way, right? And um, you know, when we're talking about that abundance mindset you said earlier, then we say not everyone is going to like you, but there's going to be so many people you meet in your life that will like you for you, right? And instilling that early on. I love that. And this is one thing, and like, I love to focus on abundance mindset. So it's really hard for you and I to go to that place of scarcity because it's just not the way we show up. But I think it's just like remembering and like doing the work to get into that place of abundance and be like, where is the opportunity here? And like having that conversation, asking more questions and like really being curious and not being like so hard lined in the sand. Because I think that's where we get, where people get defensive, where people get back stuck in that scarcity mindset is where it's like this way or that way. And it doesn't really need, it's not black and white. The binary doesn't help anyone, right? Um, and it's it, like, you know, next gen men's values that we, we took <laughs> four years to write down, but I love them. It's curiosity to learn and unlearn, uh, empathy to build bridges, courage to not be complicit, and equity to build bridges. Uh, not to build bridges. Oh, wow. Equity to remove barriers. I forgot my own values. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. You're living them all the time, right? It doesn't matter yeah. if they're written down. If you're living them, that's all that matters. And that's kind of like what I see shining through from you. So um, they're working. So I have a question. So you've talked about a lot of really cool things today, and I'm learning a lot. And I always encourage people that listen to my podcast to take action within 24 hours after learning something new. So what can people do who are like, okay, I'm looking, I'm interested in learning more about how masculinity shows up in my life or in my workplace? What can people do as a first step? Oh, man. Um, first step. Uh, I mean, I'd love for them to, you know, follow along the work that we're doing, but, um, you know, there's a great documentary called The Mask You Live In. Um, I think that's a great starting place. Where uh, is it? Is it on Netflix? I think it, it was. I'm not sure if it still is, but um, it, it came out a couple of years ago. That's a great kind of 101 piece. Um, for parents, there's a great book uh, by Rachel Giza called Boys, What It Means to Become a Man. Um, you know, there's some really great TED Talks, whether it be um, Jackson Katz talking about violence against women, uh, Tony Porter talking about the man box, or 
uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie talking about we should all be feminists. Um, there's some really great uh, written material by um, a gentleman named Mark Green on, on Medium and on Twitter. Um, lots and lots of really great stuff out okay, there. Okay, so now I'm going to challenge you again. So this is great for learning. So now what if somebody, let's talk about the workplace. Someone is like, you know what? I want to start just addressing the patriarchy in my workplace. I want to do something. Like, I believe in what you're talking about, Jake. What do I do? What is something that someone can do at work within 24 hours? Inquire about parental leave policies. Check that the language is gender neutral and okay. that um, everything's available for uh, birthing and non-birthing parents. I love that because that is so simple and every organization should have that. And if they don't, it's a great way to start that conversation. Yeah. And yeah. check pronouns too. Lots, lots of times... Um, Parental leave policies use female pronouns. Mm, okay. Because that's, that that's what they would call like a microaggression, right? It's like if you are an expecting parent and you're checking that out and you are male and all you see is she, you're like in your mind with probably without even thinking about it, you're like, it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, and that might influence your behavior. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, at least an unconscious bias. Totally. Okay, so I love that. So everybody listening, go check out what the parental leave policy is at your company. Check it out. Have that conversation and find out. And if people want to learn more about Next Gen Men, how do they do that? Uh, we're on all the socials at Next Gen Men. Uh, that's you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, the website is www.nextgenmen.ca. Uh, if you're interested in more of our corporate work, the link can be found there, but we have a separate website called equityleaders.org. Um, and, uh, you know, we got some good podcasts. One is called Modern Manhood, which is about uh, just kind of masculinity today. And the other one is, is called Breaking the Boy Code. And it's all about uh, young men's experiences of masculinity. And, and that one's really, really powerful. Okay, amazing. I will put the links to those in the show description. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jake. This was really interesting. And I'm really excited about the work that you're doing. I think it's very, very important. And the way that you're approaching it is just so different. It's not what I'm used to seeing. So I'm really excited for you to grow and for more people to engage with you because I think it's the right way that things need to go. Thanks for the uh, great conversation and the invitation. I am so excited to share with you today that Ambitious Every Day is here in the world. It is like having your very own leadership coach in the form of a journal to help you focus and take action towards your goals every single day. It is the coaching exercises that I take my clients through, illustrated by the talented Jill Jackson. So it's a book. There are questions that you ask. It's just like I'm your leadership coach right there in with you, holding your hand, helping you figure out what ambition means to you, helping you set goals and come up with a plan to make them happen. And you can actually get a preview for free by going to andreajensen.com forward slash journal. You can also order your physical coffee and it will come to you in the mail, but you can try it for completely free in a PDF right to your inbox. Go to andreajensen.com forward slash journal to get yours today. Hey, 
If you're still listening to the podcast, if you've made it this far, I would probably assume that you're getting some value out of these weekly podcasts. And I would like to ask you a favor. If you could take a minute to give me a review on iTunes. So click on the podcast, give me some comments, give me some feedback, because that helps spread the word about the Diversity at Work podcast, and it helps to build more diversity champions and get people learning, get people curious about what it's really going to take to close the gender gap. And after you've done that, if you still have some time, you could take a screenshot of the podcast and post it in your social media. That can help spread the word as well. Thank you so much.